1: are coming 800-913-GOLD 800-913-GOLD Wow, do we have a great show planned for you today. Um, We have uh, some history that we have to go over. I want to talk to you about Hillary versus WikiLeaks. They're telling us that this is going to be the thing that breaks her back and destroys her career. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else have the feeling that this is exactly the same kind of day that we experienced when they were saying, they're coming out, Dean Kamen's coming out with something new, going to be big, going to change the world. Yes. And we found yes. out it was the segue.
2: Yes,
3: yes.
1: That what could end Hillary Clinton's career? I would love to hear what you think. WikiLeaks is going to release today at 3 p.m. Also, I said this about a year ago, uh, that we are already in World War III, and it's with Russia and the Middle East, and no one's waking up to it. Boy, do I have some news for you today. Also, stocks uh, over in Europe falling faster than any time since 2011. The CDS, which is the, the insurance for the credit default swaps, Uh, They are going through the roof, which is a very bad sign. Uh, And the money bubble. We'll talk about that. And the new alt-right, a.k.a. the Klan and the Nazis, have a new alliance. (laughs) This is great. We begin there right now.
4: of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glen Beck program.
1: Um, I read uh, this morning one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest articles I have read in, I don't know how long, explaining what exactly is happening to us. And I think this writer is actually a fan of Donald Trump, I'm not sure. Um, but he explains Donald Trump and what's happening. I think personally he's giving him far too much um, credit for his intellectual prowess, um, but I want you to hear this because this explains so much of what I have felt in my gut, but I haven't been able to articulate why. I, I, I didn't know why. I don't know exactly why. This guy does. I'm going to give you the highlights of this. This is called Donald Trump and the American Crisis by John Marini. This is not a hatchet piece. In fact, in, in some ways, it's a love letter to Donald Trump. But I want you to listen to this. Every conservative should read this article. Um, because this is absolutely true and what we're facing. Uh, let's see. Um, Bureaucratic rule has become so pervasive that it is no longer clear that the government is legitimized by the consent of the governed. Agree with that? Definitely. Yeah. That's what we're feeling. We don't have anything to do with it. And our vote doesn't matter because bureaucrats are doing everything. The, 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 the Congress has given their power away to the EPA and everybody else, and you have nothing to do with it. Rather, it is the consent of the various national, often international, social, economic, political, and cultural interest groups that, that determine the outcome of the elections. Absolutely true. You see that it is these, these groups. How many times have we said, is, I just wish, was there, is there some sort of group that can represent us, just the American people? not the dogs and cats of America and whatever it is. Everybody who has a political agenda, these groups, they're controlling things. Um, It is possible only when people understand themselves as citizens and when the regime recognizes them as citizens that things will change. But this requires distinguishing American citizens from all others and identifying them as one people. So you can't make any difference if you don't recognize that we're a unique place, and so is Germany, and so is Mexico, and everything else. And you as a citizen are the one that is, that is supposed to make the decisions that then lead the government. But until we can even say that you're a citizen, you'll never be able to do that. Consequently, uh, con- conse- consequently, political campaigns have made a science of dividing the electorate into groups and reassembling them as voting blocks committed to specific policies and issues dominated by the democratic cat- the uh, demographic categories themselves. This strategy requires a systematic mobilization of animosity to ensure participation by identifying and magnifying about what it is that needs to be opposed. Now, we are doing that on both sides. And this is why I've been saying, it's not enough to be against her. What are you for? Because this is playing into the new system. You're against something, and the system makes you against something, And so we continually go down this path. Understood this way, what is central to politics and the election is the elevation of the status of personal and group identity to something approaching a new kind of civil religion. Tell me that's not true. Black Lives Matter. Global warming. Constitutionalism. It is like our religion, and if you defy our religion, you're the devil himself. You're Satan. You have to be destroyed. You're evil. Um, individual social behavior. One, listen to this. Individual social behavior. Once dependent on traditional morality. And un- understood in terms of traditional virtues and vices, has become almost indefensible when judged in the light uh, of the authority established by what they're now teaching in our schools. And 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 he goes on to talk about this a little bit. He says, "What's happened to us is um, we have this this critical postmodern theory that is being it, it, that historians." Um, have and the experts in our universities have gone back and they have looked at our history and everything is judged as bad in our history. Everything is against one of these groups. And so as our groups are becoming more and more important, at the same time, our history is being presented as only things that oppress groups, there aren't, there's no individual aspiration. There's no individual that says, man, I'm going to change the world and look what they did. No. Forget about the individual. What that guy did, no matter what his aspiration was, ended up hurting this group or that group. It ended up in slavery, oppression, uh, uh, global warming, smog, uh, globalism, whatever it is. There is no individual that is being taught anymore. The moral standing established by group identity is now how everything is judged. Character is almost unrecognizable and no longer serves as the means by which people can determine the qualifications for public office of those they don't know personally. As a result... It's difficult to establish the kind of public trust that once made it possible to connect public and private behavior or civil society and government. When coupled with the politi- politi- politicalization of civil society and the institutions, the distinction between the public and the private or the personal and the political has almost disappeared. So because, because we no longer... Have anything that revolves around individual character, we can no longer judge, because we don't understand principles. We don't understand um, uh, virtue and vice. You can no longer judge, and because we've no, we can no longer judge because we're now all about groups. The idea of, the idea of having your thought philosophy have anything to do. With the presidency? Doesn't work. <laughs> in short, public and private character of American policies uh, and politics has been placed in the hands of academic intellectuals. Postmodernist intellectuals have pronounced their historical judgment on America's past, finding it to be morally indefensible. Every great human achievement of the past, whether in philosophy, religion, literature, or the humanities, came to be understood as a kind of exploitation of the powerless. Rather than allowing the past to be viewed in terms of its aspirations or its accomplishments, it has been judged by its failures. The living part of the past is understood in terms of slavery, racism, and identity politics. No public defense of the past greatness can be allowed to live in the present. That's absolutely true. Sure is. Um, In such a time, an appeal to American citizenship is almost a revolutionary act because it requires making the distinction between citizens and all others. Since local politics and administration came to be centralized within the administrative state, elections have provided the people the only possibility of participation in public life. It wasn't long before the brightest and most ambitious college faculty and graduates became graduating to Washington, D.C., the new center of economic, social, and political decision-making. In turn, the federal government and bureaucratic apparatus became dependent upon the intellectual elites to provide their expertise of what everything means. But do these people who participate in politics – but what do you do with the people who only participate in politics – only as citizens. In terms of elections, the old partisans of both parties, the party pro, who have devoted their lives to trying to understand politics in terms of mobilizing the people, were no longer needed once partisan appeals could be marketed just like any other commodity. Both political parties have benefited from the kind of predictability made possible by the incorporation of scientific professionalism in the organizing and shaping of campaigns and elections. In addition, both parties have enforced political correctness um, as the ground of understanding civil society, public policy, law, and bureaucracy itself. Before the end of the 20th century, a new kind of iron law of politics happened. There are red states and there are blue states, and then there are a handful of purple or battleground states. Political conflict can be contained by focusing on the battleground states. Elections were understood in terms of division rather than unification, and it became almost impossible for any candidate to appeal to the electorate on behalf of a common good. That's not surprising, because positivism uh, was rejected, um, and uh, as was any understanding of meaning of the common good. Uh, The political parties no longer establish a meaningful link between the people and the government. Party patronage has been replaced with bureaucratic patronage. And a professional elite has established itself as the vital center between the people and the government. It's all true, right? It's about to get really important. And it's
5: already incredibly insightful.
1: Yes, it is. I mean, I mean, this guy is brilliant. It, I don't know it's who, deep, but it's John Marini. He is really insightful, brilliant. I do not like think tanks because we need some do tanks. Yeah, and I avoid think tanks like the plague um, because I just don't. I see them churning out papers that are meaningless. Besides, think tanks avoid us as well. <laughs> yes, like the this like is like this is this is from Claremont, and uh, this is. This has to be understood if we're going That's... to take our country uh, back. Okay, so listen to this. Um, you know, let me take let me take a quick break because the next section, the next section talks about why constitutionalist conservatives, those who basically it says basically Glenn, everything you've done in the last ten years worthless. Oh, good. And it explains why my gut has been saying for how long we got to stop using the word conservative. We have, to stop. we have to stop talking about guys in powdered wigs. We have to find a new way to present history. we got to stop talking about, hey, we need another Reagan. And why Donald Trump's slogan, make, make America great again, appeals to the older generation, but there are zero people who are millennials who are very, voting for very him. Very few. Very few. So we'll get into that here in a second. And again, this, is, this, is, this guy likes Donald Trump. I think likes Donald Trump. Um, but he's explaining why he's doing so well and why we're not, if you believe in the Constitution. And now this. 32.1 million people were notified of a data breach in 2015. 32 million in 2015. Last week, or two weeks ago, Yahoo confirmed a data breach affecting 500 million accounts. And this is only going to get worse. I believe, and I'll tell you later, um, I believe we are in World War III with Russia, and you should see what Russia is doing today. They're having the biggest ever um, countrywide mobilization of of, uh, bomb shelters that they have had, I think, since Stalin. They're having the entire country... Is having is a pretty much lockdown and a, a test to see can you get into the fallout shelter fast enough. When was the last time we did that here? Oh year? my gosh, yeah. It, it's, we, oh. are, we are there, gang. Anyway, they start with the first is gonna be in this according to Putin, zeros and ones. Your bank account, your identity, everything is is gonna be under attack. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but with LifeLock, you have the best protection. Right now, you get a special 15% discount. Call or visit LifeLock.com. Use the promo code BEC15. That's BEC15. Take advantage of this 15% discount right now. Offer ends at the end of the month. Really important. Um, Beck15, lifelock.com, 1-800-440-4936. 1-800-440-4936. That's 1-800-440-4936. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. are coming. 800-913-GOLD. 800-913-GOLD.
2: This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter
5: and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com.
1: I read yesterday that it was 3 p.m. Eastern time that uh, WikiLeaks would release this. But Stu was telling me it was three a.m.
0: <laughs> this morning. Yeah, I mean they've changed it multiple times right. for security concerns and such. Right. And I guess now so it, it apparently happened at three. The WikiLeaks thing happened at three a.m. last night. And honestly, I could care less at this point about what WikiLeaks is because people are telling me that Alex Jones lost his mind when the release was nothing. Like, I guess there was nothing so really was,
1: in the release.
5: There was it was nothing. nothing.
1: Like it was worse than the Segway? I guess. At least there was the Segway in right. the
5: end. A- at least <laughs> the Segway uh, revolutionized the way mall cops traveled around the mall. Yes. I mean, that's, that's something. This has nothing. This is nothing. he said this matter. would
1: destroy her career.
5: You've right. I think every two weeks they say they have something that's going to destroy somebody's career. I, oh, that's I, a super
2: disappointment. That is. At least is. I was hoping for something. like. Come on. To The order of cankle cream, something. <laughs> I really. Why well, would that?
5: What would the order of ankle cream do? The cream applied between the calf and ankle would ruin her
0: career. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. So I, anyway, I'm more interested to see what uh, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones' reaction was because apparently, <laughs> uh, you, you know, he's decided to stay up all night to to, to cover
5: this big release. <laughs> and
0: nothing and then there's happened. nothing. He had like a Geraldo moment. Which he should just, like, have nothing known. Nothing in the vault.
5: Everybody knew it, right? We all said, I bet there's nothing there. And sure enough, there's less than nothing. It's amazing how many times they can do this though. Last
0: time they're like right. we have voicemails from inside the DNC. And then I, I at one point like, all right, I guess I'll listen to them. And it's like, hey Bill, I'm outside in the car just uh, waiting for you whenever you're ready. <laughs> Legitimately, that were those were the voicemails. Right. I mean, they were voicemails, and they, I guess, apparently were for the DNC. It was just, DNC. It was just people outside waiting in cars, be like, "Hey, uh, you, you still want, uh, you want to get pizza? Or you want to get Chinese? C- give me a call back." <laughs> like, I, that, that's not a. I don't. You wasted your time hacking that information. I'm running a
2: little late, I'll be there as soon as I
5: can. Right. It
0: was legitimately that bad.
5: Sometimes DNC operatives run late. <laughs> Sometimes they get pizza instead of Chinese. Wow, I, racism
1: is running rampant. I was think. I was really thinking that he had some. Something on gun running in Benghazi. Something, something. you yeah. know. I, I read last night that they were expecting that this would be uh, something, you know, from the DNC and political. And I thought nothing political is going to destroy her career. Nothing okay. can take the wheels off of either one of these guys. It has to be. Oh, here's photos of of her slicing the neck of some little child someplace. And we all and even and even that would be like, oh, nothing yeah. new there. <laughs> 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 We're going to get back to this uh, Claremont uh, uh, article because it is fantastic. More in a minute.
4: We are one. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
1: I I want you to listen. Um, This is why, uh, this according to um, uh, uh, John Marini, who I think is a Donald Trump fan, in an article from um, Claremont.org, Donald Trump and the American Crisis. This is a must read for everybody who believes in the Constitution because it is why our argument is failing. Um, In the popular um, election, a rousing rhetorical defense of political candidate is nearly impossible ...when those who have held political offices and attained social respectability are unable to praise the candidate. In the attempt to evaluate Donald Trump, liberals have judged him from the perspective of postmodern cultural... uh, ...labeling him a reactionary racist, a nationalist and a xenophobe. Conservatives have not objected to this postmodern characterization of Trump. They have simply tried to add a conservative twist by seeking to revive the old language of character, virtue, and vices, as though this language still has any public or political meaning. Did you hear that? As if character, virtue, vices has any public or political meaning. Unable to politicize a language that no longer resonates Even with the libertarian or economic conservatives, their moral judgments can, listen to this, their moral judgments can only be interpreted by the general population in terms of self-interest. How many times have we heard people say, well, you're only doing this because of whatever our self-interest is. And we look at each other and say, are you kidding me? The beating we're getting for this. But that's the popular refrain. He's making the point, the reason why is because people do not connect to character, virtues, or even vices anymore. This is not, was not always the case in American politics. A political discourse once existed that understood itself in terms of principles of right, and the stewards of public office were once judged by nonpartisan standards that presupposed virtues such as honesty, integrity, and character, and honor. Those are now a thing of the past. It was an agreement on the need for such virtues that made it possible to entrust those offices to political partisans and to distinguish theoretical and practical reason or prudence. While it was possible to agree on an abstract principle, it was also possible to disagree on the practical way those principles were to be accommodated with respect to contemporary circumstances. Moreover... A public language still existed that made it possible to agree on what kind of public and private behavior was praiseworthy or blameworthy. This is what's happening, gang. But that old language was dependent on a reasonable and objective understanding of virtue and vice. Such language eludes us now in an age where subjective values have replaced public and private virtue subjective values and when principles are merely subjective policy preferences that are defined and defended simply by being Uh, non-negotiable. Let's see. Although it's easy to blame Trump for politicizing the personal by ridiculing those who seek and hold public office, this is his way of connecting with people who had become mere spectators, not citizens when it comes to Washington politics. Perhaps he did so because there had there had been no honest evaluation of Washington that originated in Washington. No policy ever really fails. Private corruption never arises to the level of public corruption, let alone is punished. No office holder of significance has been held personally responsible for their behavior since Watergate. Ironically, it has taken a reality television star, one who knows the difference between the real real and imagined, I think he's giving him too much credit there, to make reality a political issue with respect to Washington. Indeed, in recent years, Washington has presented itself as a kind of reality show. It is difficult to distinguish what is real from the way it is spun. Benghazi is one example of the unwillingness of the Washington establishment to denounce deception in a political matter. In our post-Machiavellian age, which is open to every kind of novelty, we are faced with a new kind of incredulity, one that prevents men from believing in the old things which they no longer have any experience of. So you can't, you, you don't believe in anything anymore because you haven't seen it for so long. And it's been destroyed by academia. It has become far easier for modern man to accept change as something normal, almost natural. What has become difficult to understand, let alone preserve, are things that are unchanging or eternal. History understood in terms of the ideal of progress in politics, economic science and technology has made change or the new seem almost inevitable as a result the desire for the newest has become almost irresistible he then goes into um, how Lincoln brought together at the Cooper Union speech where he said what is a conservative what does it mean to be conservative are we conservative or are we revolutionaries and he made the point that we're both that you have to go back and reject what the fathers did while weighing what they did is good and what parts are bad. So, yes, we want to conserve what our founders did, but we also are revolutionaries because we have to now go back and say this part of it is bad. So, he was asking, you can't be, he was saying, you cannot be a conservative um, and, and, and serve the future unless you're using reason to be able to go back and look through the eyes of reason and virtue to see this is good, this is bad. I love this, let's conserve or preserve this, and let's take this out. In contemporary politics, both liberals and conservatives are necessarily now open to the new. But in many of the most important ways, they have rejected the old policies of the fathers. True, conservatives have not yet seen fit fit to denounce the fathers, but how much of the legacy of the fathers do they still find defensible because of academia? Lincoln was aware that the only proper defense of the tried and the true of tradition was a defense of the unchanging principles of political right understood in terms of an unchanging human nature. The uh, uh, this uh, presupposed a uh, distinction between theoretical and practical reason, which made it possible to distinguish unchanging principles from policies that must change. This understanding assumed the benevolence of nature and nature's God, as well as the capacity of human reason to comprehend and impose those rational limits on human freedom that are necessary to ensure human happiness." It is only if the old can also be defended as the good that conservatism or the tried and true can remain a living thing. The hysterous understanding of freedom purports to reveal that nature itself is tyrannical and has attempted the self-destruction of philosophic reason by liberating the creative individual from the chains imposed by nature Nature's God, nature's law, and nature's reason. Identity is something that must be freely chosen and self-created by the individual alone, and it must be defended by a government and a law in civil society. Social institutions dependent on the old morality have become intellectually indefensible. In terms of contemporary social and political thought, it is, good, it is the good understood as the old that is no longer defensible, and its political defense has therefore become unattainable. The most controversial aspect of Trump's campaign is his slogan, Make America Great Again, because it goes to the heart of the problem. Trump's view presupposes that the old America was good and established the conditions for greatness. But is it true Or is America something to be ashamed of, as the protesters against Trump have insisted, having accepted all of the teachings of the postmodern cultural intellectuals? Trump's defense of the old America goes unrecognized by conservatives, either because they have succumbed to the postmodern narrative, or because Trump is unable to make an intellectual case for the old America. It is possible that the Trump phenomenon cannot be understood merely by trying to make sense of Trump himself but rather it is the seriousness of the need for Trump that, make, uh, that must be understood in order to make sense of his candidacy. Those most likely to be receptive of Trump are those who believe America is in the midst of a great crisis in terms of its economy, its chaotic civil society, its political corruption, and the ability to defend any kind of tradition or way of life derived from that tradition because of the transformation of its culture by the intellectual elites. This sweeping cultural transformation occurred almost completely outside of the political process of mobilizing public opinion and political majority. Understand what what he's saying? Our culture was transformed, and you had nothing to do with it. And that's what people are feeling. I had nothing to do with it. I don't agree with that. America is good. But you can't defend it anymore. We haven't even learned how to defend it with new language. The American people themselves did not participate or consent to the wholesale undermining of their way of life, which the government and bureaucracy helped to facilitate by undermining those institutions of civil society that were dependent upon a public defense of the old morality. To be clear, the seriousness of the need does not mean that the need can be satisfied perhaps even by Lincoln, let alone a Trump. That's frightening. That is frightening. Trump has established his candidacy on the basis of an implicit understanding that America is in the midst of a crisis. Those who oppose him deny the seriousness of the crisis and see Trump himself as the greatest danger. Well, I know there's five, there's four in this room right now understand this, and I think there's a great number of people in our audience that understand this. Here again, this is why, this is, this is, the Trump people have to understand. This is what, we, we are with you on a lot of it. We are concerned because I don't think Donald Trump has the intellectual firepower to even understand what this is saying. Yeah, those,
5: those two things are not mutually exclusive. Not. You are not. Believe that we're in crisis and just believe yes. he's not
1: the guy to fix it. Right. Here again, Trump's success will depend on his ability to articulate the ground of a common good that is still rooted in the past, a common good established by a government that protects the rights of its citizens in a constitutional matter. I don't think he's going to be able to do that. Trump may or may not succeed in becoming president of the United States. And all those who have a stake in preserving Washington as it now exists are his enemies. And the public that is drawn to him is fickle. Much will depend upon the ability of the established order, which has authority and respectability on its side, to erode the trust that Trump has built with the constituency that he has created. In any case, the need that brought Trump to the fore will not disappear with a possible Trump demise. Um, uh, He has addressed this issue when no one else would, and it is the need for political rule to be reanimated in a way that allows public opinion understood to arise in the creation of constitutional majorities to establish the legitimacy of politics, policy, and law in a matter compatible with the rule of law and the common good. That requires revitalizing the meeting of citizenship and reaffirming the sovereignty of the people and the nation. It also requires the restoration of the link between the people and the political branches of the government So both can become defenders of the Constitution and the country. That's from the Claremont Institute. There is a lot to digest. Anybody who is serious about fixing the country and helping the country needs to read that. It's a hearty meal right there. It is. is, is. There's days of stuff to feast on in that. John Marini is is the name. Looking back at his archives uh, at Claremont, and
0: he wrote an article in 2012... America has a problem, not because of our Constitution, but because constitutionalism, as a theoretical doctrine, is no longer meaningful in our politics. That's we, in
1: 2012. How did I not know this? Guy? I mean, that's you reach amazing. out to him and find out sure. if he listens or hates us or likes us or. I, mean, just like to, he, I, I would just, like to talk to him. I start at they hate. Start at they us. hate. It's a good place to start. Surprised. Yeah. So reach out to him. I'd like sure. to talk to him. And now this: the mall shooting near Seattle. The stabbings uh, in the mall of Minneapolis. You have a right to defend yourself and your family. Are you going to carry an AR to the mall? Is your wife carrying an AR in her purse? Are you carrying an AR when you get out? My purse is almost big enough, but uh, not quite. Um, you, You want a shotgun in your pocket. You want a hand cannon from Bond Arms. Every gun from Bond Arms can be converted to suit your needs. 25 different barrels fit every Bond Arm pistol, and you can use 14 different calibers. I, um, I have Bond Arms. Uh, I have them here at the house. I take them up uh, to the ranch as well because they're great on the ranch because they, they'll blow away any snake. There would just be little pieces of snake meat all around because uh, they are a hand cannon. You want something that will really protect you and your family? I want you to check out the guns from Bond Arms. Second Amendment is under attack, and you need to carry a gun because your family could come under attack. Do your homework. Decide what gun is best for you. Go to bondbeck.com. Bondbeck.com. That's bondbeck.com.
2: This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Mercury.
5: Glenn Beck program
1: there's lots of things um, that we really need to talk about today Um, I believe we are in World War III I said this about a year year and a half ago we have to find that audio um, where I talked about that with Russia I think that's when we when they went into Crimea and I said we are we're in World War III we just have not recognized it yet starting to catch up with us, uh, we cut off diplomatic relations yesterday with Russia on Syria. That's pretty darn significant. Uh, We are headed that way. And we have one candidate who doesn't get Russia and is thinking like it's 1954. And the other one who likes Putin and doesn't see them as a threat.
4: This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
1: So here's some good news. Um, We have robots that can keep our children uh, occupied for hours without uh, any kind of parental supervision. Hackers have infected an army of cameras, DVRs, for massive Internet attacks that are coming. Um, Stu was just telling us there's a new uh, kind of kidnapping. It's called virtual kidnapping. Yeah,
0: where they just basically call you up and fake a kidnapping of one of your, your family members and tell you you can't talk to them until you wire money. And then in the entire time, they're just like going on with their day somewhere that where they're not able to be reached for whatever reason. And it's apparently
1: worked. They've gotten thousands and thousands of dollars from people.
0: We got that. And we got the killer clowns thing
1: that's right. going on all around the country. Right. Uh, also, we have uh, the U.S. suspending diplomatic relations with Russia on Syria Syria not a good sign. Uh, we, uh, we also have uh, the latest on uh, the economy here in America, and a, a really interesting thing that I found last night called the American Creed, and I want to start there right now.
4: of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the
1: Glenn Beck Program. I have something in common with, with Donald Trump today. I, too, am not going to be watching the vice presidential debate. Uh, <laughs> You're Jim not? Gaffigan, no, Jim Gaffigan just I, tweeted that today. Um, well, they're saying that uh, uh, Kane's style is uh, even-keeled and, and quite boring so there's, there's not going to be any fireworks oh. tonight?
2: Between Mike Pence and Tim Kane. That's oh, going yeah, to be fireworks.
1: fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> Although we should watch it because there's a chance one of these two guys could become president of the United States. We should know who's going to be actually running the country. Yeah. Well, in, in her case, we should have a debate with George Soros. Um, but... Uh, this
0: is going to be boring. This is what you'd expect out of an election, though. I mean, these yes. are two candidates; they're very typical. I mean, Pence, I think, would probably be a pretty good president if he was actually running as himself. Mm. Running as a uh, as a you know a surrogate of Donald Trump is, I mean, it, it's going to be completely different. It's going to be interesting because Pence is not the type of guy who can just. Throw away in his head everything he's ever said and act like he's believed that this new point the whole time. He feels a need to, like I think Distance most people, to, and to justify why there would be that transition. Where you know, Trump will just kind of come out and just say a new opinion and kind of go with it. Yeah. Pence, you'll always hear him saying like, "Look, I believe this for a long time, but there, there's a lot of people reacting in a new way, and he tries to come up with some way to get to the new point, mm-hmm. trapping uh, I, Pence between." His actual opinions and what he's supposed to be saying now is something you know the moderator is going to attempt to do and I'm sure Kane is going to try to do. It's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that. But, I mean, not interesting enough for me to be
1: watching anything other than the Blue Jays uh, because I, you know, <laughs> screw the VP debate. Uh, I, w- I want to share something I found last night that I, I find fascinating. I read this and I thought, wow, that is fantastic. And then I, I quick did a Google search. Who wrote this and who is this man? I want you to listen to this. It's called the American creed or my creed. I do not choose to be a common man. It is my right to be uncommon. I seek opportunity to develop whatever talents God gave me, not security. I don't wish to be a kept citizen, humbled and dulled by having the state look after me. I want you to think about who do you think this man is? I want to take the calculated risk to dream and to build to fail, and to succeed. I refuse to barter incentive for a dole. I prefer the challenges of life to the guaranteed existence, the thrill of fulfillments uh, to the stale calm of utopia. I won't trade my freedom for benefits nor my dignity for a handout. I will never cower before any earthly master or bend to any threat. It is my heritage to stand erect, to stand proud and unafraid, to think and act for myself and enjoy the benefit of my creations and face the world boldly and say this with God's help I have done. This to me is what it means to be an American. You guys ever heard that? This was actually really popular. This was written in the 1950s, became popular um, and, uh, for some reason it was published in Reader's Digest and they left out the line, um, uh, about God, I will never cower before any earthly master nor bend to any threat. I don't know why Reader's Digest did that then, but they did. Um, and people have made this into, you know, like those historic marker signs, those old metal signs that, you know, you'll find places. This is found in different parts of the country on those, on those old signs, And usually without attribution. And so I saw one of those signs and I thought, who wrote that? And so I started Googling just some of the words and I found that it was written by a guy named Dean Alfange. I've never heard of him, but he's actually a guy that played a pretty big role in in history. Um, He is a guy that uh, was um, in the... First, the Republican Party. Then he switched to the Democratic Party. Uh, then he went to the American Labor Party. And then he went to the Liberal Party of New York, which is kind of like working the Working Families Party in New York now. And I saw, his, I saw his transition. First from the Republicans, which was progressive. And then when the Republicans weren't progressive enough, he went to the Democratic Party. And when that wasn't progressive enough he just went with the communists and the american labor party but when the communists became too communist he went to the liberal party of new york and he was one of the founders of the liberal party of new york which i think still is in existence and and doing stuff today he's one of the the founders of that he played a role in in several different um uh administrations in new york city and new york state uh, he was the uh, deputy attorney general for New York State. But he's, he's a commu- he was a communist. How, how the hell is a communist write that? This is why progressivism and liberalism, this is how it was confused. And I think the people back then themselves were a little confused. They saw themselves, uh, some of them did, as really uniquely American, but they were trying to, they believed in this new system of communism, but they, they, they looked at it almost through a religious lens, that it was our religious responsibility to take care of people. And so they were really confused by this. I'm guessing that that is the deal on him. He might have just been an out-and-out liar, but he seemed to have some character on the things that I noticed about him one of the things I looked up his obituary is because this is what I do in my spare time. <laughs> I looked up his obituary in the New York Times uh, after I had done some research on him and uh, I wanted to see what they said because he died in like 1989. What did they say about this guy at the end of his life? And what's really interesting um, is um, they left out a couple of things in his in his um, obituary um, they left out the fact that he was a communist and they also left out the fact that he was a staunch christian and a lifelong zionist he was one of the forerunners first of all he he uh, went for the uh, he was one of the founding members of the um, emergency commission for the jewish people to save the jewish people this is like 1942 when the government wouldn't do anything Here's this Christian that was ringing the bell saying, we have got to save these people. In Poland, they're being, in Auschwitz, they're being gassed. He was ringing the bell really hard, a forerunner of that, and um, and saved people. I mean, his group actually went out and tried to save people and wake up the governments around the world. He In 1944, he left that because... The, uh, the group wouldn't, wouldn't say that having a homeland was important. And he was a staunch Zionist. He thought that the Jewish people needed to have... He was a Christian that needed to have a homeland. So he quit that because it wasn't strong enough, he felt. Out of all the things that they said about him in his obituary, which was a full page, they didn't put in there that he was a communist... Or a, a Christian lifelong Zionist that helped, really, was a forerunner in establishing the state of Israel and saving the Jews. Can you imagine that, not even making it into the footnote of your life? <laughs> and I wondered, was that just an oversight? Because it wasn't hard. I just Googled his name and the emergency committee to save the Jewish people, and I found... The statement from the New York Times, the article from the New York Times in nineteen forty-four, where he said, Hey, this is what I gotta do.
4: Hmm.
1: Is that just an oversight or is that is that the media again and and how we don't how we've never heard that American creed from a guy who I believe actually meant those things. But somehow or another it doesn't really work with communism and something of the age. Uh, let's uh, let's go to this uh, real quick, because I'm getting pounded for my appearance on Meet the Press. Do you have the Meet the Press? Um, and I'm getting pounded from the left uh, because I said this on Meet the Press.
2: We won the evangelicals.
1: No, that's won- that's not me. Wow, you sounded I sounded a little like. Uh, a- yeah, a little like Donald Trump, which How is weird. It was weird. It it's was even better
0: weird. than Alec Baldwin's. Yeah, your your yeah. there. It's called
1: China. I, <laughs> I warned about this, you know. When they were mocking me for bringing up Nazis, the reason why I did many of the times was to warn about the rise of the Uber Right in Europe that would mm. bleed into America, and it's happening. We we have to change our. Um, our course and we have to change well, our course as individuals okay, now so i I'm, so media matters does this uh story and they go back and they get all the stuff of me talking about nazis and they try to uh prove that i wasn't warning about the right at all and they did you have the little montage that they put together mm-hmm. okay in france polls have this guy the president Nicolas sarkozy He's center right. He's hitting now new lows. Look out. Because whoever is ruling now in any country, no matter what, as this economy tanks and they spend all this money and they do the, it doesn't matter if they're right or left. As they tank, they're gonna become extraordinarily unpopular. So his approval rating is down to thirty six percent. However, this guy, far right No, this is Villapen, not it, this is mine. Wait, he's wait, wait. at fifty seven percent. Is that media matters? Also, you have far-right so. Dutch MP no, Geert Wilders. Oh, that's you in 2010. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Jeez. Well, Pat, just uh, let me just uh, just forget it, Pat. Forget it. So, what Media Matters did is they put together a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of clips where I'm talking about progressives, and the and and they just assume as if they don't know their own history. They just assume that I'm talking about the left. I can't talk about fascism with the left. I talk about communism. With the left. And in there, in their clips, I say progressivism and I say communism and fascism. Communism and fascism um, are both in America I mean in Europe both Mm -hmm. left and right. In Europe, left and right. Fascism is national socialism. Sorry, I've got Parkinson's. Um, (laughs) It's national socialism socialism is not an idea of the right in america now what they failed to report was what pat was just playing in 2010 can you pick it up where you were I have to go back. Okay, now just go ahead and play the whole thing. In France, polls have this guy, the president, Nicolas Sarkozy. He's center-right. He's hitting now new lows. Look out. Because whoever is ruling now in any country, no matter what, as this economy tanks and they spend all this money, and they do it doesn't matter if they're right or left, as they tank, they're going to become extraordinarily unpopular. So his approval rating is down to 36%. However, this guy, far-right, Villapen... He's at 57%. Also, you have far-right Dutch MP Geert Wilders. Last year, he was banned from the UK. They said his presence could uh, threaten community harmony and therefore public safety. Last week, not only was he allowed into England, he was at the House of Lords, where he uh, screened a film on the Koran. The right and the left are growing again in Europe. The left... Listen carefully, the left in Europe is communism, the right is fascism in Europe. Europe is making the same mistakes that they made at the turn of the century. Mark my words, watch, please, do me a favor. We don't have enough staff to watch this and nobody else is looking for it. Please, watch the crazy fringe groups over in Europe and email. Tweet them to me at Glenn Beck on Twitter, please. Watch them as a watchdog because they're headed down the wrong tracks and we have to be prepared. Okay. Is that not a warning of everything that is happening now? That's in 2010. I went on to say this stuff will spread to America. It will spread to America. And it is here. If you're doing your homework on um, uh, Dugan in Russia, boy, oh, boy, there is so much language to understand Everything, just basically what we said last hour with the Claremont Institute, where conservative values are meaningless now to the vast majority of people. Principles, values, virtues, vice, it doesn't mean anything anymore because there are no eternal truths anymore. And so when you preach them, when you talk about them, they fall on a select number of ears, but the vast majority are not hearing it we have to find the new language but the alt right has found a new language and they find it in russia we'll continue with russia and the alt right some news on the american alt right coming up in just a second also part 2 or is it part 1 today is tuesday right part 1 on exposing hillary clinton and the clinton scandals are serial this week Uh, Just because we want to continue to bash Donald Trump because we want Hillary to win so much. So we have a full week of serials on the scandals of Hillary Clinton. And by the way, no new scandals um, coming from the Clinton camp and Wikipedia. Uh, Now this uh, sponsor for $997. This will be the best $997 you have ever spent as a family. Mark my words. Five years down the road, you will thank me for this. Um, a year's worth of food supply now at almost half the cost. One person, three meals a day for an entire year for $997. Pat's taking advantage of this. I'm taking advantage of this. Um, there's not enough, It's not a year's worth of food for Jeffy. So um, for $997, uh, I don't know how you get hit in the head every day, but you do. Um, $997 from my Patriot Supply. I want you to go to preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. Please do it now. My gut tells me I'm bad at timing, but my gut tells me we are close. preparewithglenn.com, 800 946 2325. 800 946 2325. Do it now. Limit two per call. preparewithglenn.com. <laughs>
5: You're listening to the Glenn Beck program.
4: Mercury. The Glenn Beck program. Mm.
1: So, Julian Assange, uh, last night really didn't have anything. Uh, this is really going to be the thing that uh, took down uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign or her presidency, and um, can you play a little clip of what he said last night? There's really nothing. We're publishing every
2: week for the next ten weeks. Uh, now, we have on schedule, uh, it, and it's a very hard schedule, uh, all the... U.S. election-related documents to come out uh, before November 8th. Yeah. Uh, uh, our upcoming series uh, uh, include significant uh, material uh, from uh, war, uh on arms, uh oil, on Google. Uh, so, so what is he saying? He's impossible to
1: listen to. What is he saying here? Just, he's he's got, got nothing.
5: He's got stuff coming out on oil and uh, uh, Google. Google. Right. And uh, Lycos, I, I think he's a lot of stuff in Alta Vista. Ask Jeeves. Yeah, he's got right. a uh, huge drop coming. Is on there
1: uh, a <laughs> possibility he's doing it for the next 10 weeks? Huh. Because don't we have like three weeks before the election for, or uh, five, five weeks? Yeah. Where, where like, like, so really, the next 10 weeks, he can pretty much stop five weeks down the road. I don't know if you know that. But he can pretty much stop. I, I wonder what happened. Did he have anything in the first place? I don't think so. The scandals of Hillary Clinton. There are real scandals. We cover them. Part one next. We are one. The Glenn Beck program.
4: Look your
1: Shortly after Woodstock, the summer before in New Haven, Connecticut, 1970, Yale Library. A young male law student standing in the hallway just outside the library caught the eye of a young, bell-bottom, jeans-wearing female law student, and vice versa. As the two of them stared at each other, the young woman finally got up from her studies, to which she wasn't paying any attention to anyway and walked out to meet the young man. 24 years later, Hillary Rodham Clinton told the story of that fateful day.
6: He was standing out in the hallway, and I just, I don't know, you know those moments, you know, sort of like click, you know, and I was sitting there, and I just started staring at him. And then he caught my eye, and he began staring back at me, and so here I am in the library not reading, here he is actually surrounded by people who were talking at him not talking back so finally i thought this is ridiculous you know i'm in this class with this person and so i put my books down and i went up and i said you know if you're going to keep looking at me and i'm going to keep looking at you we ought to at least know each other's names i'm hillary rodham who are you and he says that he couldn't remember his name that makes me feel so good when he says that um but anyway he did sort of stumble out i'm bill clinton
1: a few days later perhaps with Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water playing on Bill's AM radio in his car, or more likely Edwin Starr's war cranked up to ear-shattering levels, Bill and Hillary went out on their first date. Bill Clinton, a Rhodes Scholar who had studied at Oxford, and Hillary Rodham, a bright and radical law student who graduated from Wellesley before moving on to Yale Law, were married five years later in 1975. While at Wellesley, Hillary wrote a 92-page senior thesis, which she later suppressed while in the White House, which centered on radical Marxist community organizing activist Saul Alinsky, author of Rules for Radicals, a how-to book on achieving revolution in America. This is the book where the author gave an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to Lucifer, quote, the very first radical. As unusual as that may seem, in 1972, in an interview with Playboy magazine, Alinsky said, quote, Hell would be heaven for me. All my life I've been with the have-nots. Over here, if you're a have-not, you're short of dough. But if you're a have-not in hell, you're short of virtue. Once I get into hell, I'll start organizing the have-nots over there. Playboy asked, why them? To which Alinsky responded, They're my kind of people. Alinsky wasn't joking. He wasn't being flippant. And it wasn't the first time he'd claimed to prefer hell over heaven, as you can hear from this 1966 interview.
2: I suppose given a choice, I think I would uh, pick hell. The reason I'd pick hell is because that's where all the have-nots are.
1: Hillary Rodham interviewed Alinsky multiple times. She apparently was quite influenced by him. She did, however, find fault with some of Alinsky's methods, believing them to be ineffective. He believed that radicals should pressure the government. Hillary decided it would be much more effective to become the government. That was the fundamental difference between the two. For his part, Alinsky was so taken with Broadham he offered her a job, which she declined. Armed with her Yale Law degree, Hillary went working as a lawyer. Fighting for Justice. Today, Hillary ferociously touts her lifelong record of fighting for children.
6: Uh, one of the areas that you know, I've been particularly interested in is uh, the area of children.
1: All of us have a
6: responsibility to ourselves, to our children, to each other. I've spent my life fighting for children, families, and our country, and I'm not stopping now.
1: But in 1975, Hillary fought against a 12-year-old child rape victim. She was appointed to defend a 41-year-old man accused of brutally raping the little girl. Clinton did have a job to do, and she did it well. She accused the child of exaggerating or even encouraging her rapist. She also got the accused rapist's bloody underwear thrown out as evidence. Hillary did such a good job defending the accused child rapist, she wound up plea bargaining. Just one year in prison for him, minus the two months time served. He served 10 months for the crime. During her young adulthood, Hillary Clinton also became enamored with an early 20th century progressive, a term she also applies to herself, named Margaret Sanger. Sanger had some fascinating ideas like the one that was outlined in her 1922 book, Women and the New Race, where she wrote, Many, perhaps, will think it idle to go farther in demonstrating the immorality of large families, but since there is still an abundance of proof at hand, it may be offered for the sake of those who find difficulty in adjusting old-fashioned ideas to the facts. The most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. End quote. In a letter to Clarence Gamble in 1939, Sanger wrote about getting black preachers to help with her efforts. Quote, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. End quote. During a speech in 1923, Sanger said she believed that for the purpose of racial purification couples should be rewarded for choosing sterilization. Sanger wanted to create the perfect human race. Quote, we want a world freer, happier, cleaner. We want a race of thoroughbreds. End quote. Margaret Sanger founded Planned Parenthood with that one goal in mind, to create racial purification, to eliminate the Negro. She was in favor of the strictest immigration policies to keep undesirables out of the country. Hillary, for her part, would eventually heap praise on Sanger in later years, such as in 2009 when she received the Margaret Sanger Award from Planned Parenthood. She spoke about being in awe of the racist eugenicist.
6: It was a great privilege when I was told that I would receive this award. I admire Margaret Sanger enormously, her courage, her tenacity, her vision. And when I think about what she did all those years ago in Brooklyn, taking on archetypes, taking on attitudes and accusations flowing from all directions, I am really in awe of
2: her.
1: Margaret Sanger's vision, of which Hillary so fondly spoke, was one that was very similar to the vision of the Nazis. As Sanger herself essentially admitted, her campaign for contraception and abortion, quote, is practically identical in ideal with the final aim of eugenics, end quote. When later asked at a congressional hearing about being, quote, in awe of Margaret Sanger, Hillary Rodham Clinton said,
6: I admire Thomas Jefferson. I admire his words and his leadership and I deplore his unrepentant slaveholding. I admire Margaret Sanger being a pioneer in trying to empower women to have some control over their bodies. And I deplore statements that you have referenced. That is the way we often are when we look at flawed human beings. There are things that we admire and things we deplore. We have for eight years followed the policy that you have described and I think we've gone backwards.
1: After discovering and admiring the work of so many radicals during her Ivy League years, the Clintons moved southwest. The Clintons moved back to Bill's home state of Arkansas, where he initially ran an unsuccessful campaign for Congress. Undeterred in 1976, he ran for and was elected Arkansas Attorney General. This was just the beginning. In 1978, Bill Clinton ran for governor, and at the age of 32, was elected the youngest governor the nation had seen in 40 years.
2: Tonight, I ask all of you who have stood with me, I ask my opponents and those who have fought with them in their hard-fought campaign, I ask those who have believed in me and those who have doubted, to join with me in common purpose. Let us put aside our fears for our hopes. Let us trust each other and work to forge a future that will enrich the lives of our people, a future that will strengthen our traditions and our faith, a future that will make us proud that in our time, we gave our best. God bless you all, and thank you very much.
1: That same year, the Clintons began a complicated, entangled personal and business relationship with James and Susan McDougall. They joined with the McDougals to borrow $203,000 to buy 220 acres of land in Arkansas in the Ozark Mountains. They soon formed the Whitewater Development Corporation with a plan in mind to build vacation homes. The massive and tangled web of controversy and scandal ensued. It involved James McDougal briefly becoming Clinton's economic development director, a position he soon quit, and instead, McDougal bought a small savings and loan bank, which he named Madison Guarantee. He then loaned Hillary Clinton $30,000 to build a model home on a whitewater lot. In 1984, federal regulators began to question the financial stability and lending practices of Madison Guarantee, along with its speculative land deals, insider lending, and hefty commissions to the McDougals and others. In 1985, McDougall held a fundraising event at Madison Guarantee to help pay off a $50,000 Clinton campaign debt. Also McDougall hired the Rose Law Firm, where Hillary was now a partner to do all of the legal work. In 1986, McDougall borrowed $300,000 from a company that received federal funds from the Small Business Administration to lend to disadvantaged business owners. But an investigation 10 years later alleged that they lent up to $3 million to political figures instead. In 1988, witnesses at the Rose Law Firm said that Hillary requested the destruction of Madison land contract files. From there, it just gets more complex. The scandal would continue to haunt the Clintons through the gubernatorial re-elections and all the way to the White House. The scandal was so deep and so complicated, very few people even understood it. Special prosecutors were hired by Clinton's own Attorney General, Janet Reno, but questions loomed about the propriety of the arrangement. So eventually, an independent prosecutor named Kenneth Starr was appointed. Over the next several years, tens of millions of dollars were spent on the investigation and the defense dozens of people were eventually charged 15 were convicted
2: whitewater may have begun as a legitimate real estate venture but it came to be used to skim directly or indirectly federally insured deposits from an snl and a small business investment corporation when each failed the united states taxpayer became obligated to pick up the tab
1: Eventually, the McDougals would be charged, tried, and convicted of fraud and conspiracy. The ensuing scandal would eventually even take down the Arkansas governor who succeeded Bill Clinton, Jim Guy Tucker, among others. James McDougal died March 8, 1998, just a few months before he hoped to be released from prison. The Clintons themselves were never charged. Coincidentally other close associates of the Clintons would die along the way. That and a lot more on the next installment.
5: Glenn Beck.
1: Yeah, we told you. Yeah,
5: they yes. killing a lot of people. Why do you want Hillary to win? Why? Why? Why won't you say Why? anything bad about we'll her? Never. Why? Do it. We'll never do it. We'll never say anything uh, about Hillary. Uh, she's got all
1: those bodies in her wake. You guys Why? will never say a darn word. Why? Yeah. Join us for part two, and part three, and part four over the next couple of days on Hillary Clinton and her scandals. She's a peach of a woman. Oh. 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 Oh, Wait, mm. what? Uh, oh, man. man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe they disagree. Uh, I'm not really sure. We'll have to listen to the, uh, the rest of the series to find out. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the things that are coming our way uh, economically. Uh, yesterday, I told you that um, politicians over in Germany are accusing the United States of, about a, uh, of an economic war against Deutsche Bank. You know, looking into that yesterday, I kind of do, too. I kind of wonder what the hell we're doing. We seem to be attacking Deutsche Bank at the worst possible time, Um, and uh, and they're in real trouble. And they're in real trouble. Um, Meanwhile, the um, the CDS insurance, the uh, collateral, uh, uh, shoot the um, uh, the 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 CDS is what are those? The uh, the the collateralized. you're talking credit default swaps? Yes, credit default swaps. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the credit default swaps, there's insurance that you can buy. And right before we had Lehman Brothers go down, everybody started buying insurance on these credit default swaps. That's what made AIG go down. That's what's happening right now, just started happening last couple of days over in Germany. Please protect yourself. Call 866 Goldline, 1 866 Goldline, or goldline.com. Read their important risk information and buy gold. Do it now. 1 Gold Line.
4: Glenn Beck.
1: The fusion of entertainment,
5: entertainment. and enlightenment. And enlightenment.
4: We are the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Program. Mercury.
1: 888 727 scripture. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, We have suspended the diplomatic relations with Russia. Russia is now saying that we are in World War III. Um, The white supremacists now, the alt-right in America, has formed an alliance. They say this is their moment. And what's happening over in Europe with the economy? It is a toxic, toxic stew that most people are not talking about. We will next. Glenn Bank Mercury. Today, 40 million Russians are taking part in a nuclear disaster drill. This just days after a U.S. general has warned of war with Russia. We begin there right now.
4: of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn
1: Beck Program. Last week it was a a threat lobbed by John Kerry to the Kremlin that now has become reality. Russia uh, has suspended its participation in the plutonium cleanup accord with the U.S., Uh, And the U.S. also announced that the U.S. now has suspended bilateral discussions, diplomatic relations with Russia over Syria. This is – this this is – Pat, do you have that audio from – what was it? 2014 when I said that we're headed towards World War III? Yeah. And and it's going to be with Russia. What we're seeing is the end of the proxy war and what a proxy war is – is when one side fights and uses, for instance, um, the Soviets are using, or the Russians are using uh, the, uh, the Syrian government as their proxy. We're using ISIS as our proxy. What we're really doing is fighting each other. But we don't want to admit that. Here's what I said. When was this? Uh, this was uh,
5: 2009 to 2011. Somewhere in there. All right. This
1: is what Hitler did with the SS. He had his own people. He had the brown shirts and then the SS. These done. are the brown shirts. Some. The impression that I took away from the meetings with these leaders was that we are not headed towards World War III, but we are now fighting it. I think this whole thing in the Middle East is the beginning of the end um, of the proxy war and the... Um, covert war. Mm. Okay. You're now going to see an openly hot war. Now, I fear what the, and the- uh, what the openly hot war is going to become at first is uh, cyber cyber. The cyber the cyber, the cyber war that we're headed into. Um, and it's at first going to be fought with um, ones and zeros and it is it is not going to be good. Do you think we're actually
5: on the road to an actual war with Russia? Yes, I do. Yes, I do.
1: I think we're headed towards World War III. Uh,
0: And and the Trump thing, people keep saying, well, he's too close to Putin, and obviously he said some stuff that we're not comfortable with. But part of me thinks that if Trump actually were to become president, it would be more problematic the other way. He, he reacts so negatively when people do things he doesn't like.
1: Putin is... Putin he, they, can, they become enemies in 10 seconds. Putin yeah. can control him so fast. You appeal to his ego, and you'll get him to do whatever you want. If,
5: if Putin you, tweets
1: you, something about yes. Trump that he doesn't like, yes.
5: I, you just don't know what S- would happen.
1: Sincerely, this is the way to... Ha- if I'm Putin, I look at the new incoming president of Donald Trump, and I, I, I have a victory celebration, because all I have to do... Is bring him into my confidence and treat him with profound respect, and the president will do what I want him to do. If I want a war, all I have to do is say he's an imbecile and embarrass him on the on the world stage, and he will he'll come after me, and he'll use the might of the United States to do it. It, it is a terrifying um, uh, scenario that we face and and same with Hillary Clinton while she's not volatile just going to say she is extraordinarily dangerous because she's fighting it like it's 1982 and and how
5: bad did she handle Russia from the very beginning with this whole thing? If you, if you take the
4: original reset, uh, it was not our invention. It was the invention of Hillary Clinton uh, and Obama administrations.
5: And so so the, even the foreign minister was talking about how bad that was. And because, I mean, she couldn't even get the reset button right. They couldn't even come up with the right word. And she said they did extensive research, research. and
1: worked really hard... And they couldn't get it right. We are being led by fools. We are being led by fools. Mm. Led sure. by fools. And, and the, nobody truly understands. We're standing on the threshold of 1914 or 1938, where within 10 years, the world is going to be a completely different place. By 1924, the world was completely different. By 1944, or, or 48, the world was entirely different. The power structures were different. The borders were different. Everything was different. We are headed towards real trouble. Now listen, let me tell you what they're doing today. In Russia, 40 million Russian citizens... Um, unprecedented number, as well as 200,000 specialists from the emergency rescue divisions and 50,000 units of equipment are now taking place in a four-day-long civil defense emergency evacuation and disaster preparedness drill. This is according to the Russian Ministry for Civil Defense. It's up on their website. According to the ministry, an all-Russian civil defense drill involving federal and regional executive authorities and local governments, dubbed Organization of Civil Defense During Large Natural and Man-Caused Disasters in the Russian Federation, will start this morning and will last till October 7th. The ministry doesn't specify what kind of man-caused disaster it envisions, but it would have to be a substantial one for 40 million Russians to take part in the emergency preparedness drill. Furthermore, if you read the guidelines of the drill, I think we can kind of see what they're doing. Here it is, stage one of a three-stage, four-day drill. This is happening today in Russia. What would you think our government was thinking if they did this with 40 million Americans? Preparing for war? Listen to what they're doing. Stage one, organization and civil defense. This is what's happening today. This stage is going to uh, practice notification and gathering of senior officials of federal and regional executive authorities, local governments, and civil defense forces, deployment of civil defense management system on all levels, readying civil defense communication and notification system. After the National Crisis Management Center has been brought to the management signals, all management bodies, state authorities... Forces and facilities on duty and people will be notified through the notification systems available. That's stage one. Stage two, planning and organization of the civil defense actions, deploying the team of civil defense forces and facilities designed to respond to large disaster and fire. So stage one takes place today. I believe stage two takes place uh, either late today or tomorrow. The stage plans to practice deployment of emergency mobile interagency multifunctional teams of civil defense forces and facilities in each federal district in order to carry out our rescue and other urgent operations, civil defense actions, and to deploy civil defense units in uh, constituent territories, putting rescue military units, divisions of federal fire service, rescue units on standby this stage provides uh, for the team to be reinforced activation of backup control centers and practicing, collecting and exchanging information in the field of civil defense. This is the one where you see what they're preparing for. Stage three organization of actions of civil defense management bodies and forces for response to large disasters and fire. The state this stage will deal with the use of civil defense team to respond to large disasters and fires setting up an aerial and mobile control center, revising of routes for safe evacuation of people, organization of vital services, taking off fire and rescue units of the Fire Federal Service to put out fires and conduct rescue operations at potentially dangerous facilities, including closed administrative territorial entities. The drill will rehearse radiation, chemical and biological protection of the personnel and population during emergencies at crucial and potential dangerous facilities. Fire safety, civil defense, and human protection at social institutions and public buildings are also planned on being checked. Response units will deploy radiation, chemical, and biological monitoring centers centers, and sanitation posts at emergency areas, while laboratory control networks are going to be put on standby. That's what's happening beginning today with 40 million people in the former Soviet Union doing it over the next four days. What do they know that we don't know? Or perhaps is it that we're not listening, that we are so consumed with our own party politics... That no one is actually talking about the issues of what's going on. I want to remind you, yesterday, we suspended diplomatic relations with Russia on Syria. What's happening in Syria? Russia wants the, um, the Assad administration to hold on to Syria... Because Russia wants a pipeline through Syria and into the Mediterranean. That's all they want. So they want Assad to hold on to power. Hillary Clinton was running guns from Benghazi through Turkey into Syria to the rebels, which became ISIS. The reason why we're not wiping out ISIS is because we helped arm them. What we wanted them for was to topple Assad because we have this topple every regime in the Middle East. It only gets better idea. It only has gotten worse every step of the way. For some reason, they don't see it. They don't want to see it. And that goes to the president as much as it goes to Hillary Clinton. Uh, Hillary Clinton may change slightly, but I doubt it. I believe Barack Obama is so focused on we're the bad guys and they're the oppressed that need to be set free and we need to correct the sins of the past by allowing these dictators to be in there that he's wanting to sweep them all clean so the people can have their voice. He's wrong. He's wrong. Um, So Russia wants the, the pipeline. We have this topple regime thing. We're not going after ISIS. We are trying to hold Russia in place. It's a proxy war. We say we're going after ISIS. We're not going after ISIS. We're doing minimal damage to ISIS. Now, let me give you something else. Because all of this is going to coalesce around the next president. And it is why We must individually live our lives with honor and integrity and virtue and not vice. Why it is important not to defend the indefensible. To know the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. Because I'm telling you now, both parties are going to make the wrong decisions. And it will be up to us to be able to hold it together, even if it's a small remnant of people. Look gang, we survive this, but in what condition on the other side? Do you want to walk out of this with with honor, or do you want to walk out of this saying, well, I did everything I could, even though doing everything you could may have meant that you got into bed with really bad people. Really bad people. Because this is the way it usually ends. The only reason why it hasn't ended this way in the past is because America, they, they, it has always been populated with good, decent, God-fearing, principle-centered people. But if we have no respect for principles anymore, if we have no respect for vice Uh, for, uh, for virtue as opposed to vice, if we don't even know what that means, we make it on the other side with a good portion of this population never wanting to discuss history with their children. It's going to snowball, and it's going to snowball quickly. The credit default swaps. This is a This is a messenger of doom economically. The credit default swaps. um, There is an an, an insurance. A CDS is an insurance against default on a bond or a bond-like security. And so the price of a CDS reflects the market expectation on on whether or not the issuer of that bond will... Um, default. So the price of a credit default swap is referred to as a spread. These, these numbers are out of whack, and these numbers are growing out of whack. The credit default swaps, they're growing out of whack because people are buying, they're betting now in greater numbers that... There's going to be a default of the big banks, and especially Deutsche Bank. This is what happened right before uh, Merrill Lynch went. Was it Merrill Lynch? No, it was uh, Bear Stearns went down, Lehman Brothers. Right before Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers went down, the CDS market went through the roof, and people were buying these this insurance, and that triggered AIG, uh, AIG which was the insurance company for the banks. And so everybody is... Betting now that these banks are going to fail—that's why it's a precursor to trouble. Because those with no, the, in the know, say, "Well, I'm just gonna—I'm going to bet that way," and they are. And it's not good. As things spiral out of control economically, there will be those who dry, decide to take control militarily. As well. And we are a country that isn't even seeing it coming because we are so blind because of our political posturing between the Republicans and the Democrats, no one is paying attention to it. You must, please. You must. Let me tell you about American financing.
2: American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Okay. Um, I want to talk to you about getting
1: out of debt, and, um, and you might not think you, you're able to. Maybe you had unexpected home repairs, medical expenses. Maybe you were out of work for several months. Falling into debt happens to everybody. We just had a roof problem. we got to replace the damn roof. Luckily, it came from a storm, so I have insurance for it. But, I mean, that stuff happens all the time where you're like, oh, crap, now the roof is leaking? That happens to everybody. If you feel like you're in a hole and you're not sure how to get out of it, let American financing consolidate your high interest debt into one manageable monthly payment. Interest rates are at all-time lows, and right now is a great time to refinance and consolidate all of those debts. Get out of those high-interest debts. Lowering your interest rate can save you as much as 500 to to $1,000 every month. Get that number down and pay that debt off. American Financing's mortgage consultants are salary-based, so they specialize in solutions, not counting commissions. They want to do the right thing for you. Call 866-750-6551. 866-750-6551. It's America's home for home loans it's America fi- AmericanFinancing.net, AmericanFinancing.net, 866-750-6551. This is
4: the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
1: You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. Seems reasonable. We're just talking, and and Stu said to me, "So, what are you saying we should do?" And I said, "If if if you had money in a bank, I would go to the bank and get that money out today, at least part of some it, of it right. some of it, some of it." part I mean, of it. but you have to understand have the right. you have to understand the risk you're taking by having money in the house well, the or FBI someplace is call else, you,
5: right? I mean, if it's well, the FBI is, is going to call money, you. They're lo- they're going to let them.
1: Yeah, I your mean, your answer is. I'm a free American citizen. Here's my receipt from the bank. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that's where it came from. It was in the bank. And I'm a free American citizen that, quite honestly, I do not trust the federal government uh, with the banks. That's <laughs> what Deddy Hastert said. Yeah. He said he did not trust it the takes, banks. right. So well, he there. was also paying somebody off. Right. But that's what yeah. they, they don't use that as an acceptable excuse. They keep questioning. It's fine. Fine. Let him question. I'm telling you. The banks are unstable. Let me explain in a minute.
5: You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program.
4: Mercury. Mercury. Is
1: the Glenn Beck program. Oh, it's amazing is we're having the most amazing conversation off air and uh, that we need to have on the air. Because I think I need to bring cameras in for this.
0: Um, <laughs> well, see, that's I the whole this point.
1: Is the answer. This is yes. where I'm proven right. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. No. Look. Should you be able to, Pat. Yeah. Should I be able to pull my money out of my bank anytime? Oh, I want? Oh, absolutely. Of course. Right. Absolutely. Should I expect that if I have a very large sum of money in the, in the bank, you know, let's say you have $100,000, two hundred, dollars a million dollars, yeah. should you be able to – is it reasonable to say I'm going to go into my bank and I demand my money right now? Probably not. Uh, not no. End- no,
5: it's not going to happen it's right now. It's not going
1: to happen. Is it reasonable to say that I know that they're going to have to call the Treasury – and the Treasury is going to have to issue the bills yeah. with the bank and then put them on a federal Treasury truck and bring it out to the bank. And it might take five days. Yes. It might take ten. Maybe ten. Is it reasonable now to say I can take my money, mm-hmm. which I put into the bank through digits, out of the bank if I want to take it out through digits or a cashier's check? Mm-hmm. I could get that done today. But if I say, you know what? I'm a collector of old antiquey things, and (laughs) money is so antiquey, it's so yesterday, Mm -hmm. I want my money in In cash. cash. Yes, sir, we can get it for you in cash, but it's going to be a hassle, it's going to be a few days. Not a problem, not a problem. Agree? Yes. Yes. Totally reasonable. Mm -hmm. It (laughs) might even take a month. No, no, that's,
2: that's not a
5: month. That's
1: unreasonable. That's unreasonable. That's they unreasonable. Print it it's
2: down going, the street. It's
5: your money. That's unreasonable. we have the treasury down the street. I'll bet you they'll say 30 days. I don't that care if the treasury outrageous. is on the other side of the country. That's 30 outrageous. days is un- I bet outrageous. they'd say 30
1: days. OK, so let's say 30 days. I then come on the air and say, this is outrageous. It's taking me 30 days to get my money out of my bank. End of story, right? I don't think that's all that's going to happen.
5: No, it's not. No, it's not. You're also going to get some extra scrutiny. Correct. Uh, big so tech.
1: now I have, I have a, I have a income tax refund coming back to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a check from the Treasury. Right. So they know exactly where did this money come from. You. <laughs> it came from you. Uh-huh. Let's see. I'd like it right. in cash, please. Uh-huh. I'll bet you.
5: Well, what are you getting back, Three, $400? Yes. I mean, that's a lot of money. I will bet
1: that's, you it that's is. That's going to take what,
5: 60 days. That's going to take 60 yeah, days. Yeah, not money. for
1: $400. I will bet you it is World War Three to get that money.
5: And, and I bet yes. you, you're, 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 so you're just making a point. Yes. That's right. you, what you're doing. You, well, you, yeah. I can hey, see by your little hey, smirk, this yes. is the Glenn Beck, I'm making yeah. a point smirk. You're making a point. Well, hang on just a second. Yeah. First this of all. it's not a good time to make a point. Okay, hold up. Why? Us, Why? We're already on. under extra
1: scrutiny. I'm making, I'm making the point that my money written out on a check from the U.S. government Right. Is mine. I We know. all agree with that. Right. I know. Yes. We all agree. Right. But. So yeah, well, what? not all of so, us agree. The federal
5: government right. doesn't necessarily agree. Correct. That is a huge It's a, a problem.
1: Huge problem. But it's still going to be a problem. What are we living in? China? <laughs> we should be we're able to get closer? our money. Yeah, we are okay. getting closer. We are getting closer. Yeah. So here's it's not just a point. I do believe that everyone You need cash on hand. Yeah. I think you should have at least minimum of two weeks of running your household cash. I think you... I would like, a bit longer than that. I, I would think. like to have three to six months of uh-huh. cash available, but I don't feel comfortable keeping that, you know, in the house. Um,
5: you know, you, you start to get well, it's into... it's not like you leave it on the kitchen counter. You've got a Liberty Safe to put it in. Yeah, is it
1: bolted to the ground? Yeah. And are your children safe enough to where somebody comes in and they put a gun to your kid's head and say, open up the safe? I, you, you know, It comes... You go in... I mean, if you're if you're right. talking about a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, you're probably not doing that. But if you're talking twenty, fifty thousand dollars, anything upward to that, people start to get nuts. Yeah, right. And, and and obviously, a Liberty Safe is the
0: safest place you can have it in your home. But there's always right. risk. I, I'm not going to
1: put my kids in right. the Liberty Safe. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Use that kind of money. You use that kind like, of money. You start. You know,
2: crazy people start to say, yes. I'm gonna, "I'll shoot them. Open right. the That's damn exactly. safe." Right. Eh? Right now. I mean, Kim Kardashian was left alone for 10 minutes and she's duct taped for $10 million worth of jewelry. Correct.
1: I mean, you know, that's a lot.
2: You know, it's 10 million. I know that. Let's tell me. I know, but still. That's
1: a lot of, you know. And the other thing is insurance. Yeah. I don't think insurance will cover. There's no FDIC. No, but I don't think you, I don't think you can call your insurance agency and say, hey, I've got, you know, $50,000 in cash (laughs) in my house. I'd like you to cover that for insurance. They'll say, put it in a bank, dude. Right. right. So I don't think you, I, so you don't want to have a large sum of money. You know what I mean? But you should have, you, you need to have at least two weeks. I'm not going to have three months of cash because I don't, what do you do? What do you do with it and stay safe? Okay. Um, but you got to have that. So I want to have that. That'll be over my, what, 5,000 or is it? It's 5,000 before they start looking. They tell you it's 10. They right. tell you it's 10, but then there's a rule
5: that you can't make it look if like you're anything not. It's different. I don't think 10. No, right. yeah, but no, it's but anything,
2: convoluted and yeah. really bad. Actually, we found out that there, while they say have an amount, it isn't an amount. It's irregular behavior in your account. Right. It doesn't matter if it's. Well, time anybody goes to their bank and withdraws a huge amount of money, or if
5: I go,
1: because this is really kind of what I want to do. I want to go, cash my check, say I want it in cash, then take what I want out of it, and then go to a bank and put it in a bank. You're making. Right. You're making making the point. Okay. Mm. What what is the what is the hassle that you're going to give me? What is the scrutiny that you're going to put me under? You're going to call me a terrorist? Probably yes. You gonna what? What is, what is the scrutiny? What is what actually happens to people if you go to your bank and say? Because for instance, I know people. I know somebody who who basically dug a pit and put a Liberty safe in a new concrete vault somewhere that nobody knows, and their cash is in a vault. And I said, "You got to be kidding me." And he's like, "Nope." I said, where did you, you put that on your price so You think I'm going to tell you? <laughs> uh, I mean, so, I mean, there are people. That was a good and call he went to the bank. <laughs> that was a really he good went call. It really would be on the air right now. D- <laughs> he t- it would be. He took every dime out. He took every dime out of the bank. Wow. Did he have a lot well, of dimes? He had a lot of dimes. He didn't have dimes. problems in his. Now he's in Texas. He, he didn't have
5: problems? Nope, it was a Texas bank. So he went, and did he get the money immediately, or did he have to wait a while? No, he had to wait. How long? He had a, a week. Yeah, seven to 10 days, I think. Was, and
1: there was no, he said, I have no problems. Now, I don't know if the government.
5: So we didn't flagged. have to sign things or any of that? Or did he have to sign
1: for it? He had to sign for the cash.
5: No, yeah. I know, but did he have to sign government forms that this is what I'm doing with it? Because no. we've, we've heard those stories, too, no. where people have to, well, you got to tell us what you're doing with it. No. you got to tell us why you're taking no. it. Well, I'm not so going to any of that. Here's the
1: thing that people used to do this, and they'd say, well, I'm going to put my cash in my safety deposit box, I'm going to take it out of the bank. Because my safety deposit box is my property, and the bank can't go into my safety deposit box. They can't? Huh? No. You know who can? The federal government. Yeah. According to the Patriot Act, in the case of a national emergency or a banking emergency, a member of the Department of Homeland Security must attend everyone accessing their safety deposit box. During a
5: so-called emergency emergency. They can do almost anything, anything. they want. Yeah. We, we found out last week on on the uh, Second Amendment serial that we did that in Katrina, during Katrina, they took guns. And I we forget this. I remember hearing about it. When oh, it I remember yeah. it clearly. But uh, it was quite a reminder of all the people's stories who had their guns confiscated. Some of those people never got their guns. By back. the government, and a lot of them never got it back. Yeah. Some of them had their guns destroyed. taken apart and destroyed right in front of them. Rather than getting a receipt and then saying, no, okay, when the crisis thing. is over, come back and get this it.
1: This is why you want to live. So they can do anything. This is why you want to live in these little teeny towns where there are sheriffs that get it. Yeah. Where your neighbors are all, they all get it because you live in one of these big cities, the cops are going to come to your house, they're going to take it, and they're going to say what they did in New Orleans.
5: Huh. That's that's why we moved to the fifth largest city in the country. Right, the, the Metroplex, the,
1: the, the DFW. There's- it's bigger than the state of Arkansas or whatever. It's, uh- <laughs> that's why you should. T- that's why you should take your money out of the bank so you can get across the northern border in the middle of the night when you need to. Oh,
0: after they uh-huh. come with the black helicopters. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Because Alex Jones. Right. All right. Just saying.
0: Now, I uh, have my money in Wells Fargo, and that's stable, right? <laughs> they're doing. Really, they're having a good couple months. Are oh, uh, yeah, you <laughs> yeah, right. you're it's fine. Gonna fine? It's going to be fine. What's happening afraid. with Wells Fargo? Ha- they had some uh, scandal, and I don't know all the details, but they had some scandal where they were apparently creating fake accounts um, to try to boost their numbers or something. Oh so my God! They
2: boosted uh, uh, several million accounts. Uh, oh their, my God! sales people, put these guys. Salespeople were making money. They find them, Glenn. <laughs>
0: In the middle of a, it looks like <laughs> oh, they're going to have gosh. some
2: serious repercussions. Well, because people were pissed, but originally they were saying they were just going to find them and move on, and now there were a number of people after that that went, "Wait a second, you can't just find them." I mean that
1: that is that, that I mean that that is propping up the broken well, you know, system. Look, we made a mistake. I oh, yeah. told the salespeople if the, the new accounts got them more money. Let me go Sorry. to Travis in Nevada. Hello, Travis. You're on the glimbic program.
3: Hi, uh, Glenn. I just wanted to put out there, it was kind of coincidental. You were mentioning Russia, uh, preparing for a possible, uh, natural disaster or an attack. Well, it yeah. reminded me last, uh, week, coincidentally, uh, we just so happened to have a national presidential, uh, alert system, uh, which apparently, I guess they notified us that it didn't work in 46 years, but coincidentally, they decided that... to just test it last week. So I thought the, uh, you know, it was purely coincidental on that fact. So I thought that was interesting. Uh... I wanted to throw that out there.
1: So, wait, where where are you? How do you know this? Where where do you work for the government? Do you work for military?
3: No, no, this was this was just over the air. They announced it because they want to warn everybody not to scare them when they do put that out over the air. But they stated it was the presidential alert system and that they wanted it, you know, Mm. to let people know it was going off just to test it because it hadn't worked in 46 years.
5: I've never heard of a presidential alert
1: system. That is, yeah, that is. It's supposed to all e, EBS or EAS now. is supposed yeah, it's to EAS. originate from Washington. Exact, but the I'm sorry, president yeah,
3: they said it didn't work last time. It hasn't worked in 46 years. But it's to be a uh, national uh, alert system yeah. instead of just localized. Yeah,
1: uh, So remember, they oh. put, they went from EBS to EAS, right, right, right. which then actually sees the transmitters of right. everything. You want to talk about controlling the media? It seizes if the, all... Tra- if the president if, if. activates it, it actually seizes all transmitters you and notice too flips it to Washington. That that when they do the
5: EAS test, and I think this is why they made the switch, not only does it do the primary station, but it takes over automatically oh, all yes. the other stations. Oh, yes. the- plus all the terrestrial yeah. stations, plus the satellite stations. Yeah. yeah. It's on everything, including
1: satellite now. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, That's incredible! You oh, remember talking about this during? I, I, I remember forgot when thought about this. Satellite. No, this like is Patriot Act it. stuff That's too. Crazy. And I remember standing talking to the engineers in Tampa. Yeah, when and they were installing remember, John it all. was yes. John was the guy in Tampa, and I remember talking to those two yeah, guys. in yep, and saying, "Wait, wait, wait! It takes over the transmitter. What do you mean?" Yeah, if you, don't, you have no local control of it anymore. So your programming, right. if it's, the president well, says can. it's just I'm over, for it's over.
2: Seconds or whatever. For the, for the tests, know. you do have control. If you like it if it's coming down, and if you you have a you have, a, I think it's I'll, I'll say a minute, but it might yeah. be a little bit more. But, if you don't act on it, then it takes over. Correct. No matter what. Correct.
1: Yeah. But mm-hmm. as long as the president says we're under this emergency. The president, or the or the president, can issue an order that the EAS system stays on, and you lose all control of public airwaves, and they're all controlled by Washington.
2: I mean, well, that could never. It happens. is. Oh, I know. No, that's never crazy happen. talk. Yeah, it never that's just happens. a, a it's case of an emergency. Case.
1: That's nuts. That's nuts. Most cars come with an alarm system. Most houses don't, and yet you have more things of value in your home than your car. Take control. Be protected. Get the home security system without all the wires. And without any strings it's simply safe with simply safe you get the best protection it's easy to use it is completely wireless you own the system so if you're getting ready to move if you live in an apartment but you think i'm going to move to a bigger apartment or a bigger um house you have a kid in in a dorm you now have a system that they can use to make sure they're safe and you can use in your own house monthly monitoring is only 14.99 a month and that's with no long-term contract Visit, uh, visit simplysafeback.com and protect your home the smart way. It's simplysafeback.com. You'll get a free keychain remote worth $25 if you do it right now. Go to simplysafeback.com simplysafeback.com
4: This is
5: the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
1: So, here's some more good news for you. Hackers infect army of cameras, DVRs, in preparation for a massive internet attack. (sighs) Attackers are using uh, an army of hijacked security cameras and video recorders to launch several massive internet attacks. They did it again last week, prompting fresh concern about the vulnerability of millions of smart homes and smart devices And businesses that are connected by these smart devices. This, (laughs) our biggest flaw is that nothing is independent anymore. Nothing is independent. The reason why the banks will fail is because they're all connected. You want to find a bank, go find a local bank that is not connected. Ask them how much of their holdings are invested in what, you see CDS, you see credit default swaps. Get away from them. Um, yeah, remember that list we
5: had of how on deeply treasury. indebted all of the major banks are. You
1: can find it at treasury. The Chase Bank like was on the
5: hook for something like sixty-eight trillion dollars. Uh,
1: Deutsche Bank is seventy. I, I mean, it's mean. they're all like that. They're all like that. Um, uh, but but you can find that out. But. The reason why the banks will collapse is because they're all connected. One domino falls the next. You can cripple America now by just crippling access to the Internet. Because how many homes Mm. are smart homes now where, no, I've got Nest. He takes care of everything and tucks me in and sings lullabies at night. Really? What do you do without Nest? Is there there anything that you aren't relying on with the Internet now? Anything? We'll see you tonight at 5 with History.
4: This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.